You're listening to the sermon audio from the Shore Church located in North Vancouver. For more information about the Shore, upcoming events, or to donate, you can head to www.theshorechurch.ca. Excellent. Well, kids, man, if you weren't here last week, we had a massive water fight. You guys remember that? A lot of you sprayed me. I had no dry spots on my body, which was a lot of fun. We had our big launch Sunday, and there's some pictures out there somewhere. Uh, but uh, you can definitely uh, get excited about some more fun things that are coming. But my name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here at the Shore Church. And, and uh, a warm welcome to each of you, and especially those that are maybe first-time guests. It's so great to have you this morning. Uh, So we've already been praying quite a bit here this morning. I pray in the back room. We've prayed at 9.15 to, as a, as a, core group of people that come and set up and, and come early, and, and we want to continue to pray. Uh, Ryan's led us in a few prayers already this morning. We've prayed for the persecuted church, and we want to pray uh, for the Word of God as well. But before we get into that, let's read it together. So if you would please rise, if you're able, we're going to read from First Peter this morning, chapter 2, verses 4 through 10, and uh, then jump into it. It says this, you can follow on the screen as well or in your Bibles. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by man, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture... Behold, I am laying as, uh, in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they dis- disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of God. Let's pray together and then you can grab a seat. Jesus, we thank you. We come before you. We come before your word that is eternal. It is not going away. And we want to learn from it and glean from it. And I pray, Jesus, as we proclaim it here this morning, that you will be honored, that you will be glorified, uh, not only through our prayers, through our song, but now through the preaching and teaching of what you have told us. And may it be an encouragement to those that are here those listening online, and uh, to my heart as well, Jesus. We thank you again for your amazing power, your amazing glory, and uh, for your redemption that you've offered us on the cross. In Jesus, I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, today we are starting this uh, three-week series, mini-series of sorts, and, and we're in the core values of the church, the core values of evangelism, discipleship, and then community. So these three weeks, today we're hitting evangelism. Next week, like, we've got discipleship, and then the following week we've got in October 1st, I think it is, community. And then on Thanksgiving weekend, we're going to be jumping into a new book, and we're going to go to the book that tells us why God loves coffee. 
because it's Hebrews, right? You can't let that joke die, right? It has to be told. Uh, so we're going to get into Hebrews and probably be in there for the better part of a year. And um, I'm just very excited to be jumping into uh, one book again and teach through that. We love to teach through the books of the Bible here at the shore. And uh, in the summer, we were kind of jumping all over the place. But now come the fall, we want to jump back into one book and see what it says for us and how we can glean from it. But today, like I said, we're in evangelism. As you can see on the screen, very clear. We are in evangelism evangelism today. And this is one of my favorites. This is a, a core value of ours that, man, I get fired up about if you can't tell. Uh, like, I, I, I get so excited about this one. I'm excited about all of them, evangelism, discipleship, and community, because they really flow all together. But this one here, if you separate the three of them, man, this one fires me up. Like, there's nothing more exhilarating when you're on a one-on-one -on -one conversation with someone and you see the transformation of their heart to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and you get to walk them through that, pointing them to Jesus. And if you've ever had that opportunity, you know what I'm talking about. It is, it's exhilarating. It, it's addicting. It's, it's one of those things that you want to go back to and you want to do it again. When I was doing youth ministry, I had about 15 years or so of youth ministry plus all my kids. So there's a lot of years of youth ministry that I come and, and I always taught this evangelism, get out and share your faith, talk to your friends at school. And, and there's these kids in my youth group that phoned me up one afternoon and at, the, at noon when they're on lunch break and they were so excited about sharing their faith because one of their friends had come to Jesus. And they phoned me out of the blue, and I answered the phone, and, and they were saying, Jerry, Jerry, you never believe it. We're walking around our school, and we talked to this one kid about Jesus, and he, he accepted the Lord. We got to go. We got to go. See ya. And they hung up. I had no words back to them. They were just so excited. I was like, that was awesome. That was like my favorite phone call ever. So that's why this core value for me, anyways, excites me to no end. And we're called to it. It's a command from the scripture from the beginning to the end to go out, to go out and share this amazing story of Jesus, this redemption story that we know and love and maybe have affected change in each one of us. And maybe we're still on a journey for this, but this is one of those commands when you fall in love with Jesus and you believe upon him for your salvation, this is a command upon us to evangelize. So I wanna take you through a couple texts of scripture uh, just to help us understand this. So Matthew 28, 19 to 20. This is the great commission of Jesus. Many of you know these scriptures, so it's going to be a reminder, but sometimes we don't see these as commands upon us as followers of Jesus. Jesus himself says before he ascended into heaven, this is the great commission, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So there's not just a belief, there's an action to that belief. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So like we, we, we really could just stop there. It's a beautiful commission on all of us as followers of Jesus to go and do what he's called us to. But we have others like 1 Peter 3.15, some direction of how to do this. It says, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. That's why I want to re-sing that song again, just to prepare it, because I know a lot of us come in here with a lot of distractions, and we have worries and concerns and all that kind of stuff, and we need to really, through the week, but also on a Sunday morning, really just push those aside that we might see Jesus and honor him with our heart. 
And that's what it says here. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. See, we need not to beat people down with words or throw Bible verses at them without a context. It's not spiritual mugging that I'm telling you to do with evangelism, but it's not on the other side of the spectrum. It's not mere presence either. A lot of people just go, you know what, I'm just going to live my life as a Christian and then my neighbors will fall in love with Jesus. And that, that really doesn't happen. Very rarely, if it does, there needs to be words spoken and we see this in other verses as well. Romans 10, 14 and 15, for example, says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they have not never or have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Again, friends, we are to proclaim the good news of Jesus. Matthew 9, 36 to 38, like 1 Peter, gives us a little bit of a context in Jesus. We see his compassionate heart for others, where it says, we, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. See, it's not just gentleness and respect. We are to share the good news of Jesus, but with a compassionate heart for them. They're lost. They're, they need of a Savior. And he goes on, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They needed guidance. They needed guidance to their true hope, their true redemption. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord for the har of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Like if you look around in the grocery store or the coffee shop or wherever you kind of do life in your neighborhood, just walking around, we know those who have not yet accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And if you don't, then it's so good to ask. So good to engage in that. That's the biggest thing to have compassion for them. They're sheep without a shepherd. And we need to help shepherd point them to the true shepherd in Jesus. Second Timothy 4, 1 through 5, it says, I charge you. So this is Paul talking, but he also says in the presence of Jesus Christ and God the Father, right? The presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. So he's charging you in the presence of them. And by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Rep reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience. There's another thing that we all to do. And teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And we're getting that all the time. Like we're having a members class after this gathering because membership is an important thing. It's a call to be united into the body of Christ and for us as an elder team to know who those people are. And so when it comes to membership, there, there really is no... Uh, room for, in the scripture anyways, for adherence or just the tenders of a church. Like we want people on a journey, absolutely. But once you fall in love with Jesus, it's like, come on in, let's go. Let's, let's jump into, the, the, see what the Lord is doing in movement. And this is, this is Paul saying, don't just listen to the truth and wander off into myths like the, and, suit, and look for those teachers that will just suit your own passions. And then it goes on, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. 
And in other parts of Scripture, it tells us, like, we have been given gifts and, and we've given works to be done for the church. And one of those things is uplifting, uplift one another through it. So it's just everywhere in the Scripture. Uh, two more. Second Corinthians 5.20 says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, through us, is that we are to proclaim. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled then to God. And then last one, Philemon 1, 6, I pray that the sharing of your faith, so it's an assumed action, I pray for the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. See, in these texts, like we see, I think, I, I think we see that evangelism is, is not an option. It's a call for each one of us as Christians. So what exactly do Christians mean then when they talk about the gospel of Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and when they talk about the call of evangelism? Like I'm saying, well, some of you, maybe all of you, maybe have been handed this little tract. It's a tract that you could actually walk someone through the gospel with. And Greg Gilbert has a great book, it, which is titled, What is the Gospel? But these little brochures, these little handouts, these little tracts are also uh, fantastic. This is this quick summary of the good news. But in that first, very first page, that first uh, paragraph there. It says, since the word gospel means good news, when Christians talk about the gospel, they're simply telling the good news about Jesus. That's simply our message. It's not to convince them. It's not to be like, I have to like them or be friends to them. I have to love them. But simply tell the good news about Jesus. But it's not just any good news. And this is the, I love this language, it demands a response. We have to get to a point, do you believe in Jesus? Do you surrender to him, who he says he is, or do you not? It demands a response, the good news of Jesus. So the outline for this morning is going to take us through, we're going to jump out of 1 Peter 2 a little bit, and we're going to jump into the Romans road and kind of follow a track uh, in, in a sense of how to share your faith, how to get out there and to actually go down. So in your, your community groups, I'm actually going to send you the Romans road that they'll pass on to all those that attend a community group here. And if you want that, if you're not involved in a community group, then come talk to me after. I'd be happy to send it through. But here are some of the verses as well that we're going to walk through in this outline. And a little bit of an outline. These flow in together. And they're, you don't have to go one by one, but definitely flow in together to get the full message and the full counsel of God. But the order in some way is important because it helps with the next point after it. But here you can see it on the screen. It says who God is, who man is, who Christ is, what Christ has done, and what we must do. So let's hit number one. Number one, jumping into Romans chapter 1, verse 20, who God is. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. And then Romans eleven thirty three to 36 says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. This, we learn some things about these two texts. And, but man, the Bible is littered with God's attributes. The problem is oftentimes we read over the text of Scripture really fast and so we miss them. We don't slow down and just actually 
heed the questions that even are there in that last Romans text. But I was thinking about this as I was preparing for this message, and I was thinking about the man Job. Uh, maybe you've read some, it's kind of in the middle of your book. I've got it in my Bible, actually turned to the book of Job right now. But if you flip to the middle, you may hit Psalm, Psalm, the Psalms, and then you just kind of go a little bit to the left and you'll hit that, that first book before Psalms is the book of Job. And the book of Job is an amazing story. If Job showed up to us today and he shared his testimony about who God is, it'd be one of those crazy ones that you just never forget. And I encourage you to read the book. You see his testimony early on and just the man and the righteous man that he was. And he was tested. He was tested. Actually, everything he owned was taken from him, killed and taken from him. He was left with nothing except his wife. And his wife even turned a little bit on him and just said, you know what? Like, you should just rebuke God and die. And Job then, along with his friends, continued to wrestle with what was going on with the situation that he was in. And then it comes to the point where in, jo in Job chapter 38, God enters into his story and begins to talk to him through a whirlwind. I'm not sure if you can talk through a whirlwind, but God can. It says this in Job 38. I'll just read 1 through 11. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said to him, Who is this that darkens counsel by my words without knowledge? Right there, I think, if we heard that, I think I would, it would just it would instantly silence our mouths. And then it continues. It says, dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Or what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, thus far you shall come and no farther. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. Like, that's just a few questions. God goes on to ask Job 90 plus questions in the next couple of chapters. He could have just stopped there, I would think, I would hope. But when you read texts like that, are you not stricken a little bit with the power and the majesty and the glory of God? His attributes. He is the creator. He's the all-powerful. I don't know what would shake you into believing this, that there's something greater than you when you just look simply at creation. But it should, every time we walk through the forest or look on the ocean or look at to the mountains or see the rain or see the clouds or see the sky or the sun or the moon and the stars, we should be amazed every single time we see them. But I'm sure like you, I get complacent to those things and we forget that God, his invisible attributes are being shown to us every single day. See, he created the world with his voice. He spoke these things into existence. And like we saw in Revelation chapter four last week, God is the central point of the story. 
Not Donald Trump, right? Not Elon Musk, not the World Economic Forum, and by God's grace, not Trudeau, or you, or me. God's the central point of the story. It's all about him. He's the central point. See, God is the creator, the sustainer, the fulfiller, the perfecter, the controller, the provider, the comforter. He is sovereign, eternal, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, immutable, righteous, just. He is love, and he doesn't ever change. He's veracity. He's indescribable without start or end time or any other creative thing does not restrain him. He is God. Isaiah 66, 1 quotes God saying, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build to me? And what place shall be my rest? The earth is your footstool? Like we miss these things because we read over them too much or we just don't read them. See, this means whether you believe in Jesus or not, based on the creation around you, you, we, have no excuse, as it says in that Romans chapter 1 passage, but to bow down to our creator. That is our job. We are creation. He is the creator. See, when it comes to evangelism, we must have this first point nailed down. We must have this first point nailed down. And the danger of missing or being soft on this point adjusts and affects the following ones. And when you nail down the first point, the second point actually becomes a lot easier to help someone understand. And so let's break that one down a little bit. Who man is. So when you understand who God is, you understand who man is a little bit better. So who man is? Romans 1.25 says this, because they exchanged, they being man, exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. See, in this text, you just simply see, just by a simple read of it, man is a worshiper by nature. Man also is easily deceived. He sees creation, just stops there without thinking that there ought to be a creator. So he just worships the creation. Man also ignores wisdom for ease. Romans 3.10 also says, None is righteous, no, not one. If you're still confused on your nature of wretchedness. Romans 3.23 also says, For all, not some, but all, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So these verses help us all see and understand our fallen state before a holy God. And again, it's the nature of who God is, his character traits, who he is, helps us understand who we are. See, when evangelizing someone, this must be recognized before moving on. These two points are pivotal. See, when the heart of man or woman before you that is convinced in his goodness before a holy God is a man that is blind or dead. When they just can't let go of the fact that I'm a good person. I've got something innate in me that is good. Uh, they're, they're blind. Uh, they're dead. Not literally dead, not literally blind, but they're blind to seeing the truth. They're, they're dead in their nature. They're still on a destined road to eternal death and judgment against the holy God. See, this again is the importance of evangelism, to heal the blind, to set the captive free, 
to save the lost, to save the blind, to help them see rightly, to bring forth life into a dead body. See, we don't give up on the blind or spiritual dead, but we proclaim the goodness of Jesus. And these are all different ways the Bible describes those that have not yet understood God and their sin. So again, who is man? Well, man is a child of wrath. Man is a sinner. Man is unholy and in need of a Savior. That's who we are. We're in desperate need of a Savior. See, part of evangelism is helping people get to know themselves better. Helping people get to know themselves better. There was this one time I was walking downtown Vancouver, and, and uh, you, know those, you know those times when you're walking along the sidewalk and someone's like pacing you perfectly, and it's like kind of awkward? And that's, that's the situation that I was in. I was downtown, and I'm, we're walking, and, and both of us felt that awkwardness because I look over, and he's kind of looking over at me, and we're like, who's going to slow down? Uh, who's going to speed up because we're like going the same speed the whole time. So I just said, well, I started praying like, Lord, is this, this is how my mind works. Um, because I think I've been gifted this, this evangelism gift, but we we're all called to this evangelism. And so my mind instantly goes, okay, God, clearly you've told me to share this faith, my faith with this guy. Because why else would we be walking the same pace at the same time in this city? And there was really no one else around. So I just kind of turned to him and kind of made a funny joke about our pace. And, and uh, we ga- engaged in conversation. It didn't take long. I was just like, well, it looks like we're going the same place. Maybe we should, uh, you know, get closer and get to know one another. And he kind of laughed and chuckled. And I was like, well, my name is Jer. What's your name? And he shares his name. And I go, do you mind if I ask you a question? And he goes, sure, absolutely. I was like, it seems like we're walking for a little ways. Why don't we have some conversation as well? And he goes, sure. And so I go, have you ever been to church before? And he goes, well, that's an interesting question. And yeah, when I was 12, I, I, I kind of stopped, though, because of the hypocrisy of the church. And I was like, oh, interesting, man. I get it. I, I'm with you 100%. Like, I'm, I'm actually a hypocrite. And then that kind of threw him back a little bit. He opened his eyes a little bit wider and was like, what are you talking about? You're, you seem like a good guy. And I was like, well... Man, I just told my, I've got four kids and I told one of my kids to do something and then I went and did the opposite. So that kind of makes me a hypocrite in a sense. And I looked at him and I go, haven't you done that? And he goes, well, well, yeah, I guess I have. I go, so it's not just the church that's filled with hypocrites, but it's you and me too. And he goes, yeah, I, I guess you got me there. I was like, can I keep, this conversation going. He's like, yeah, this is interesting. And so we ended up turning in towards the, towards Jesus and towards the gospel and sharing about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his, and our need for a savior, because we are all hypocrites. We're all sinners. We all fallen short of God's perfection and holiness. So again, part of evangelism is helping people see maybe what they're battling Another example of this, maybe it will resonate too, but when I was a kid, I, I, um, we were in our basement having a fire in our, in our fireplace and roasting marshmallows. Such a cool, fun thing to do as a kid, roasting marshmallows in your house rather than on the campsite. And uh, all of a sudden, as we're doing this, we hear this big bang on the door, like, like incessant, like just over and over and over again. And the doorbell is just going, dee doo dee doo dee doo and so we run, my dad runs upstairs and me and my brother, we kind of run after my dad and, and uh, open the door and the neighbor's standing there and going, you have a chimney fire. 
your fire, your house is on fire. And we had no clue. We were blind to our need of saving. This is evangelism. We need someone, we as the church need to be on guard, seeing the fire that is going on in other people's lives, the destination that they're going to, that we might bang on the heart of the door of the door of their heart and help them see clearly for salvation purposes. So we need to understand God, we need to understand who man is, they are blind and without sight. And thirdly, we need to understand who Christ is. Romans 1, 1 through 4 says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. And there's a comma there. Paul is the master of run-on sentences. All right, so when you read Paul, sometimes you really have to slow down because what is he saying there? And he says a lot here. And so what he says here is this is who Christ is. And it's a lot of words, but what Paul is saying is there is one who has come. There is one who has been foretold through the prophets up towards 500 years before his birth. This is that Jesus. He's teaching the Roman church, one who is fully man and fully God. This is the one that the Holy Spirit resides. This is the one who died and the one who rose from the grave, fulfilling his covenant promise for all who believe. This is that Christ. See, this is the intro, like I said, to the Roman church, that Jesus is the one. He starts off most of his books this way. So he continues then because he's, he's seeing things that, that the, the Christian church, the church is swaying away from and is, they're moving towards like a works thing. I have to do something to this holy, for this holy God for him to accept me. And he goes off in Romans chapter 8, verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. See, Paul tells us that Jesus is the very Son of God here. This is Paul saying, if you try to be perfect, you can't be. You can't be. See, this is what the law couldn't do. The law couldn't make you righteous. So if you're working at being a good person for the sake of a pat on the back from God, it's not working for you. It will never work for you. It's not by the law that we are to live by. It's not by works. You can't gain salvation by works. And this is what Paul is trying to help just nail down into the church in Rome and for us as well. See, when you, when you go on a road and, you, and there's no posted speed limit, uh, really, well, we have different laws, but let's just imagine that there's no other laws than just a posted speed limit and you get to drive whatever speed you want on that road. But as soon as a posted speed limit is on that road, now you know what you ought not to do. See, the law in Romans chapter 5 also says that as the law, in, or as, the, as sin increases, grace increases all the more. But when law is entered in, we understand our sin even more. That's what the law was doing. It's, it's showing us and reflecting to us how sinful we actually are. This is what the law's job was. See, Christ came to fulfill what the law couldn't do. 
The law couldn't save you, but Jesus can. See, he, by his blood shed for you, makes you perfect, holy, righteous before God the Father without you doing anything. See, the law couldn't do that. Romans 8, 31 to 32 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, what can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Again, Paul is going, are you seeing this? Are you understanding this? This is just common sense. If Jesus came down to pay for your sin in full, without you doing anything, he fulfilled the law, you couldn't. So by his blood shed for us, he saves us. Don't you think then if he does that, won't he just give you all things? And through the gospel we see this. He's preparing a place for us. He's he's preparing a place for us to reside with him, to enter into his throne room. It's not by the works. The crowns are thrown down. Like last week we learned the elders are throwing the crowns down at the feet of Jesus and just worship him. It's all by Jesus. So this is Paul saying, have some of this understanding. So who is Christ? He is our Savior. He is our hope. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is everything. Again, Philippians, just to nail this point down home, is Philippians 2, 9 through 11, a great place to go to with people. But it says, therefore God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is curios, Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Curios means supreme. He has full supremacy. God the Father is giving him the name of supreme. You have all authority in heaven and on earth. This is who Christ is. He's the anointed one. This is who we point to be. That's why we say in our mission statement here at the shores, make Jesus known. It's all about him. So what Christ has done, again, Romans 3, 22 to 26, for there is no distinction. Again, it doesn't matter what, what family you're born in, what, what country you're born in, what, where you are, there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Believe in faith. That was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over the former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He passed over all those that were seeking out the Savior. He passed all those where the, all the foreshadows of the Old Testament were pointing to. And he was the, on the cross. He became the just and the justifier for all who believe in him. Romans 5, 8 says, But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for our sin, our penalty, our works that are just worthless to him. Romans 6, 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Christ has satisfied the penalty for our sin by his blood for all who believe. And this is, like we see in this text, is a free gift. It's a free gift. He is not asking anything of you so that you can boast. 
right? He's not asking for anything of you. Like Job 41, 11 says, who has first given to me? Such a, such a great lead of question. Who has first given to me? You, you have not first given to me that I should repay him. Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. So what can you offer God for salvation? Absolutely nothing. Christ has done it all. What an amazing gift. What an amazing freedom message that we get to share with people. See, evangelism is short. In short, is God is ultimate. God is, is ultimate supreme power. We suck. Christ has been given supremacy and has paid for our suckiness. What do you want to do with that? Just just simple message of the gospel. God is ultimate, created all things. We suck. Christ came to pay for our suckiness. And now, what are you going to do? And that leads us to our last point. What must we do with that message? It's either believe it or don't believe it. Romans 10, 9 through 13 says, if you confess now with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, curios, supreme, and believe like, not just a, like I believe that I like pizza. No, like I believe down the depths of my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in Jesus will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, the curios, will be saved. So what is evangelism? It is sharing the message of Jesus. And it is the most loving thing you can do for your neighbor and the people around you. And as we started, if we're not sharing our faith, it's actually an act of disobedience and therefore the most hated thing you can do for your neighbor. God has called us simply to love God and to love our neighbor. And by loving, we share the good news of Jesus. Now I understand there are all kinds of fears. All kinds of fears. Not everybody's made up where you can kind of walk on a street and just engage in a conversation. Not everybody's like that. There's fear, all kinds of it. But look at 1 John 4.18. I don't think it's on the screen But it says this, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. So church, the call to evangelism only happens when you truly love your neighbor. When you've been transformed by the love of Christ, you can't not help now share about him. So may we be faithful as a church to practice what we hold to. Do not be like those who are in Kuwait who say there are certain things but yet don't do anything. But also like us in Canada that say maybe we're a Christian but yet live contrary to it. Giving a bad example for the name of Jesus and when you confront people with the gospel and they say, man, I don't go to church because of all the hypocrites. Let's stop that. 
Let's live out what it says. Let's follow what it says. Sure, we have sin in our life, 100%. But are we seeking to reconcile with the Lord? Are we seeking to walk humbly and holy in our heart for the name and the sake of Jesus' kingdom come? Let's do that, and you will get to the point where you can't help but share about this amazing redemption story. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for um, your word. I thank you that we can glean from it and and walk in this. And I I pray, Jesus, that uh, you will help me lead the charge uh, as the elder and overseer of this ministry, that um, you will give me uh, just a continued, renewed uh, desire to share my faith with all those I confront uh, with gentleness and love and respect and compassion uh, that we see you have for those uh, in need of help. So I pray, Jesus, that we as a church will um, be quick to invite and quick to share and live out uh, this amazing call and this amazing commission on us as followers of you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.